Welcome to the Kinda Panda Podcast. No, it's not Kinda Panda. What are you talking about? Oh, um, it's not even uh, Kinda. Uh, All right, welcome to the Fairly Panda Podcast. I hate you so much. I love you too, Paul. Yeah, I feel it. Anyways, so today we're we're gonna just so how 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 have you guys been doing? How's your week been? Uh, well, it's only Monday, so. All right. Well, I haven't spoken to you since last Monday, so oh. you know how's how that my... week been? How was my last week? Uh, well, I'm gonna be okay. I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Comcast. We just talked about net neutrality <laughs> last week. Comcast fucking sucks. Okay. Let Let me roll you through the story of what happened to me. So, so Monday. I called to get my bill changed to change my package because it was costing me $225 a month. I barely even watch TV. I was like, why am I paying this much money? So I called them to be like, hey, uh, I want to change packages and get this cheaper package that you know has a bunch of stuff because I don't watch TV and all that stuff anyway. So she was like, oh, we can do this other package or whatever, and it'll, it'll save you like 50 or 60 bucks a month. And I'm still pissed off because they bundled the crap together, so I still have like a phone that's literally not even plugged in. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. Go with this package. It's saving me 50 or 60 bucks a month. That's fine. Uh, and I said, but we're going to be, I'm, I need the internet because we were going to be recording the podcast. And I was like, so I need the internet. So can you like wait and like change this over tomorrow? Because I, they were changing my internet and I'm changing the internet speed. And I was like, I don't want anything to go wrong. And she was like, oh, well, we can't set it to automatically happen. But if you call back in the morning, we'll have this on the file and you can just tell them you want to make the switch, and let's make the switch then. I'm like, oh, okay. So I wake up Tuesday morning, and I call them, and I get this woman of customer service and tell her, hey, I've got this switch. It's on my account. Every, what I'm going to switch to and all that stuff. Can you just go ahead and flip it and, and make the change? Didn't know what the hell I was talking about. She's like, I don't see anything on your file about this. I'm like, God damn it. I knew this was going to happen. So then I spend an hour on the phone rehashing everything I had just done the night before. She makes the switch. Everything breaks. My cable stops working. My internet stops working. Doesn't come back. I don't have a phone plugged in, but I'm assuming it wouldn't have worked if it had done it. So I now spend like four hours on the phone with this tech trying to get my my box to work, my cable box to work. And he's like, oh, we got to send signals and you got to find this stupid, you know, code or host ID or something like that. And then all that happened. He's like, oh, your internet's finally working again, but you're getting you're getting bad signals. Like it's, there's lots of noise in the signal. And so we're going to have to somebody send somebody out to take care of that. And they send somebody out and he's like, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, when did this happen? He's like, I'm not seeing any problem on the system for the last 24 hours. And I was like, no, I've been having problems before then. But I was like, but when I switched over, there were problems. But even before then, like once a went once a week, it would like cut out and it would stop working. And he was like, Oh yeah, uh, I'm not. Yeah, I see that now. He was like, actually, I think some of the noise is coming from, uh, you know, you have your cable here plugged into this little, like I had it plugged into like one of those surge protectors, so it would protect the cable or something like that. I was like, I think that's causing the issue. And I'm like, I literally just plugged that in yesterday, and you said I haven't had any problem for the past 24 hours. No, no, that's totally the problem, dude. And so, so then he fixed, it and he was like, he was like, are you using all the jacks in the house? And I was like. No, I'm really only using the one in the living room because that gets my Wi-Fi and everything. And he was like, 
Well, okay, so is it okay if I just, like, turn off the others? And I was like, he was, because that's the best way to get the noise. So now I have, like, every other cable jack in my house just doesn't even work. And I'm just like, what the hell? This company is the worst. The worst. And there's no competition. What am I going to do? No competition. The only other option I have here is DSL, and it's like 6 megabit. Fuck off. Man, the struggles of a homeowner. It is, it is. Especially <laughs> in, in the suburbs of the Midwest. So, anyway, that's my rant on Comcast. How about right. you, Sir Brett? Pretty good, just finals and more finals. Mm. I have to finish up German. I yeah. Don't... Latin. Latin. Say something in Latin. Okay. Excellent. Six Semper Tyrannis. Okay. What? Semper the, Ubi yes. Sub Ubi. What? Semper Ubi Sub Ubi. Oh, I what think he sings Scribe. No. Always wear underwear. Oh. What's the uh, what's the phrase from V for Vendetta that was in Latin? There's a V for Vendetta phrase in Latin. Yes, <laughs> it's it's the scene where she goes and she finds like the mirror or the painting or whatever, and it's got something written in Latin on it. See, now this is gonna bother me. Uh, here it is. We wary universum. We was wiki. We wary universum. We was wiki. Um, it's a Latin phrase meaning by the power of truth, I while living have conquered the universe. Yes, there you go. That's what it was. I always like that one. Wait, why did you say it as if it was a W? Because that's how you're supposed to say it in Latin, because the V and the W are basically the same. Wait, are you telling me that movie lied? Uh, no, just that most people have no clue to pronounce Latin. Like, you know how everyone calls the guy Julius Caesar? Yeah. Yeah. That's not how you pronounce it. It's actually Julius Caesar. <laughs> that sounds really ridiculous. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with Brett on this one. But you know what? Hey, that's the right way to say it. I will say it that way from now on, and then people will give me looks, and then I will look like an elitist punk, but such is life. I mean, you're a liberal, so I that know, kind of right? just comes to the territory. It's actually I feel, I feel Julius Caesar. I feel yes, an obligation. Gaius Julius Caesar. That's going to go over well. Anyway, let, let's, let's start with our thing. So if you wouldn't mind sharing the script with me, that would be awesome. There isn't one. I didn't write one. All right. Let's let let's let's fucking wing it then. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> yeah, I'll write it. We'll do it live. You need All right. So, centrist candidate Emmanuel Macaroon has <laughs> decisively won the French presidential election, defeating the far-right candidate Marine Le Pen. Thank Christ. 
Uh, Mr. Macaroon won by 66.06 to 33.94% to become the youngest president at 39. Um, He said he wants this to be a new page of hope and renewed trust. He also said he's heard the rage, anxiety, and doubt and has vowed to spend his five years in office fighting the forces that divide France. Mm-hmm. Um, his mentions of Miss Le Pen drew loud boos. He said he would do all he could in the future to be to ensure that there would be no reason to vote for extremism. So Le Pen responds by just talking about division between patriots and globalists, um, saying that she needs to transform the national front again and then trying to win more elections. Well, here's a hint. Uh, maybe you don't have so many Holocaust deniers in your party. It's probably a good start. Mm-hmm. So he's going to be taking over as president on Sunday. And, yeah. So, all right. Hot potatoes. Brett, give us your hot potato. It's a very sad day. Looks like uh, the Trump brand of uh, nationalism isn't working so well in Europe. Everyone was really excited for Gear and uh, Le Pen and AFD, which isn't doing so hot either. It doesn't look too good. But there is a silver lining because Le Pen's vote was dominated by the youth. So that kind of kicks out the stereotype that, oh, conservatism is only for old geezers who live in the past. There's definitely a... Vested interest among the youth to get back to putting France first. Was it was it that way in the general election though? I haven't seen break no. for the general. <clears throat> yeah, that um, Le Pen basically lost in every category. Yeah. That's what I thought. Because in the well, because in the. Uh... In the, the first round, uh, actually, one of the things I noticed after we talked about it last week was um, Le Pen, actually, she did best among, like, the 40 to 55-year-olds, which was Trump's demographic as well. Uh, she got beat among under-35s by the far-left guy, Melanchon, and he told his people, like, he, he got higher percentage of the youth vote. And he told his voters never Le Pen, but he also wouldn't endorse Macron, so I don't know what they ended up doing. So, so I, I don't know. I haven't seen the breakdown. I don't know how they actually went in the second round. Okay, Amr. Um, personally, I'm kind of glad that Macaroon won. I don't think that France leaving the EU... Why, do, why does everybody keep laughing every time I say his name? Ah, ha, 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 continue. That's not how it's pronounced. <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, I think that's a good thing that Macaroon is now going to become the French president. Because I don't think that Marine Le Pen's brand of nationalism is good. And I don't think the fact that she was... Play on having France exit the EU was very good either. I'm not exactly a fan of the new guy, but again, 
At least he's not Le Pen. Yeah, I think I would echo that. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I'm obviously happy to see Le Pen not win. Uh, you could have seen it coming. She was doing really poorly in the polls. Um, I think one of the things that you saw from the first round, actually, was that older voters, uh, I think what helped her was that older voters actually broke for the other really conservative guy, uh, Philong, who was not so harsh on immigration, but he was like, economically, he was like Republican conservative in terms of like massive slashes to government spending and everything like that. And uh, I think that probably helped her. But regardless, um, I kind of expected that this wouldn't really go over in France the same way it went in other places. They don't have the same kind of media environment that we do. Um, I don't think they have the same kind of voting base necessarily that other countries do. And I will also say what I think is interesting um, that we hadn't really touched on yet, that there was uh, there was a big leak of Macron, like he was hacked, just like Hillary Clinton was. Uh, people have come out today. WikiLeaks came out today. WikiLeaks posted the information, and then they showed today on Twitter that it looks like it was Russian hackers once again that leaked all his stuff. Oh, those Russians! And uh, and and they did it though right before the blackout period. So they released it Friday night. And in France, they have like a 48 hour blackout period before voting, which is like none of the candidates can talk and can't campaign and the media can't cover the debates and stuff like that. And so on the one hand, I I thought that was going to have a bigger impact because I was like, well, here's they just dumped all this information out and there really wasn't much in there, just like there really wasn't much in Clinton stuff. And um and but I thought like oh people I saw on you know Twitter and Facebook people were like the the right wing people were going crazy with like oh Macron look he's got all this corruption and blah 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 and I was like oh that's gonna hurt him and then it apparently ended up not so yeah it's, it's just too late okay. I don't know I feel like the fact that Brexit and the other thing were a thing, also affected why he won. Because the French people were like, shit, Trump became president, Brexit was a thing, we should probably get out there and vote for Macaroon. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, what's interesting about it is that I actually think France has a much better case for some kind of, because France is in the Eurozone, and I think the Eurozone sucks. And I would also want to get out of the Eurozone. I wouldn't want to get out of the EU. But I would want to get out of the Eurozone. And what's interesting about that is they didn't do either. And Britain was actually already out of... They were never part of the Eurozone. And they decided to leave the EU. So... Anyway. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, hopefully hopefully Macaroni is going to be a good president. I don't have my hopes up on that one. <laughs> he, because uh, he was one of the main economic advisors of Hollande, and like, to me, that was the biggest. But he's a socialist. Thing. Well, but he's not. Like that's the socialist in France does not mean what socialist means in the United States. 
Like they didn't. European countries did not purge socialist and communist parties like they did in the United States. So the socialist party in France is, particularly for France, is pretty center left. So. Wait, so who are the real socialists? Well, the Mélenchon? far left guy was the far left guy was Mélenchon, or even Mélenchon. in Britain, Car- Corbyn is pretty far left compared to what labor usually is. Next topic. Next yeah. topic. Alrighty then, let's look at the next topic. Who's, so who's the pres- GOP plans on. Oh, oh wait, yes, who's presenting it? Who's presenting this one? Brett, it's all yours. No, you do it. I just did one. And Paul's going to notice laughing at Jeff Sessions because, of course, he is. All right, fine, 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 fine. I can, I can do them both. It's fine. No, no, no. You're taking only one because that one you're going to take, you're going to go whole hog on that one. Yeah. You're going to swing your righteous... Hate boner. Yes. That's one way to look at it. Mad bro. So so have you read the article? Yeah. Just need to open it. Um, of course you logged me out. I didn't log you out. Yeah, Comcast did. Yes, he did. He did it with his magical liberal powers. No, 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 it's fucking Comcast. He just said it. Comcast strikes again. Oh yeah, did you hear that John Oliver thing about Comcast? Apparently they want the FCC to reclassify internet service providers as a Title I rather than a Title II. Yeah. Which is dumb because that's what they were and the court struck it down and said no, you can't actually regulate them if they're Title I. You have to do it as Title II. And, like, Ajit Pai's arguments were just really, really dumb. Yeah. We talked about it last week. I mean, yeah, but we're just talking about it now while we wait for Brett to do his thing. Yeah. Because we're just filling time. Except, unlike the other people who fill time, we're doing it with intelligent conversation. Okay. So, basically, a big part of Trump's campaign is that he was going to go after Wall Street. But he wasn't very specific about like what he was going to go after and like how he was going to go after them. It's basically just him shitting on Wall Street like all candidates do. And, I mean, basically what the Republicans have done is just deregulated a crap ton of things. So taxes on speculation are way down now. And uh, they got rid of... We know they have Dodd-Frank now, and um, it's basically just a neoconservative move, uh, probably supported by München. This is totally a München move right here. And it's the, the typical conservative orthodoxy of less regulations means more business. Yes. Yeah. Did I do good? Yeah. Yes, Brett, you did good. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I find it ironic. I'm, I agree that it's like this is very much a Mnuchin kind of thing. Look, Trump conned you. Like, I, I, all these people are like, oh, he's going to drain the swamp and he's going to like, you know, what was it? He's going to he said he was going to charge and hedge fund owners and investment bankers higher taxes and all stuff. He was lying. He's a rich guy from New York. Of course. And, and to be fair, this bill, which is the Choice Act, the Financial Choice Act, that's been in Congress for a long time before Trump was even a candidate. So it's like, it's hard to really blame. And to be fair, it hasn't passed the House or the Senate yet, but they are working on it. And it's like, it's such a wet dream for everything bankers would want, right? I mean, so the biggest thing is they're wanting to pull back the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, right? And the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is an independent agency right now inside the Treasury. And so right now it's funded completely by the Fed, not by Congress. And so the problem they have is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is kind of like the FCC. It, it has the power to regulate uh, like banks and mortgage lenders and uh, credit card companies, stuff like that. And like Republicans have hated that from day one. And it's just so, and it's such a perfect example of like, they don't give a shit about public opinion on stuff because the public, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is actually relatively popular and they've done a lot of good things. They primarily level fines on banks and financial institutions for racial discrimination, uh, misleading advertising or fraud. The most recent high profile thing they did was actually they find the Wells Fargo now, did you guys hear about this? Like Wells Fargo was doing that thing where they were signing up their customer, their their existing account holders. They were signing up their existing account holders for new accounts without asking them, so they could Hell, charge them fees. I, I I wasn't I I didn't just hear of that. I was actually involved in that. Yeah, you that happened to you. Uh, yeah, I I had a family friend who uh worked for Wells Fargo, and essentially speaking. She would make accounts in Wells Fargo under our name because she had to hit a certain quota. Yeah, it was absolutely ridiculous. And the, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau fined them $100 million for that. And now Republicans are like, but Republicans have had it in their crosshairs forever. And so they're trying this bill is going to do things like uh, move the funding from the Fed to Congress, essentially, so they could defund it and make it not do anything. Uh, they want to re roll back authority and restructure its leadership and all that stuff. And I think this is perfectly example too of, of using the rhetoric of Donald Trump, which is like, Oh, we're going to drain the swamp and everything like that. They call this, they say this bill is anti too big to fail. Uh, because they're, they're saying things like we don't want taxpayers to have to, uh, bail out these big banks again, but nothing in the bill actually prevents, taxpayers from doing a bailout again the only thing it does is it actually removes the authority of the government to structured to take over a bank if it's failing right so in 2008 like when lehman brothers failed the government didn't have any authority to do anything with lehman brothers so the only thing they could literally do is let lehman brothers fail and spend eight trillion dollars into the financial system to keep it from crumbling upon itself the, what Dodd-Frank did was it said, 
if a bank is failing, the government can go ahead and take it over and, uh, what do they call it? They call it the, um, uh, it's OLA. What's that called? Um, OLA? Yeah, that's what the, that's what the specific part of it is. The Orderly Liquidation Authority. So it, it allows them to go in and take over the bank and say, uh, we're going to provide it liquid funds to cover the assets and to make sure no other banks fail. And then we're going to, you know, have a structured way of letting this bank go out of business if it's failing. The only thing this law does, this Financial Choice Act, which is Orwellian again, is it rolls that back and says, no, you don't have the right to do that. So if a bank fails, we're going to be in the exact same situation we were in 2008, which is like, they're saying like, oh, just let it fail. It's like, but if you let it fail, the whole economy goes down with it, right? So it's like, they're using this thing like, oh, it's anti too big to fail. We're not going to rely on, you know, have the American voters bail them out and stuff like that. Like, no, the the American voters are going to bail them out again because you're not going to let the economy crash. Now you're just letting them be bailed out on the bank's terms instead of on the government's terms. So it also does things like, eliminates limits on debit card charges so like it used to be i don't know if you guys remember this but i remember when i first got my debit card because you guys probably aren't old enough when i first got my debit card you used to be charged at certain retailers 50 cents to use your debit card whereas if you use a credit card it weren't charged anything dodd frank eliminated that they were like no you can't charge people to use a debit card so they want to get rid no, of that I, I, I do remember that actually yeah it's like who's asking for that nobody's asking for that so and the worst part is, I know there will be some Democrats that will back this, like Cory Booker. <laughs> like, there will be these Wall Street, Northeastern Democrats who will back this. And it's just, it's a joke. So. Hummer. I mean, I, I, I feel very similar to Paul about this. I don't feel that the government or the republicans are doing very well when it comes to what it is with uh basically speaking um wall street i think that there should be a tax on speculation i think that we should do what bernie sanders said and then use that tax to fund things like i don't know free public universities so that college is a right like it is in most European countries or make it so that our students aren't drowning in so much debt to get something that is essential for them to succeed in life. And I don't think that doing things like repealing Glass-Steagall or allowing the housing market to collapse the way it did was in any way correct. I feel like there was a lot that people could have done to stop that, but they didn't. Well, what caused it, in your opinion? This whole big too big to fail mentality. Too big to fail mentality. So how would you fix that? Honestly, breaking up banks like Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, wouldn't the best way to break up banks be to just let them fail, not bail them out? Well, no, because the problem is if you let them fail, they take other people down. The, the real problem you have is all the banks 
there's several systemic problems here, and I don't want to get too deep into the wonkishness of it, but there used to be all <laughs> kinds of laws that separated certain things, right? So Glass-Steagall is the one that, that Bernie Sanders talked about, and progressives have talked about a lot, because Glass-Steagall essentially said that uh, one bank, like a, a bank had to have separate entities. They couldn't take money, like if they had a consumer-facing part of the bank, right? So like they have checking accounts and stuff like that, right? Or credit card accounts, like if you're city. Uh, you can't take money from consumers like me and you and spend that money on uh, investment, right? And spend that money in the stock market uh, because it's too volatile. And if you lose the money, you lose people's money. You didn't lose your own money. You didn't lose capitalist money or venture capitalist money. You lost rank-and-file consumers' money, and it put the money at risk. And so that was a law that was passed after the first Great Depression when the financial system collapsed in the 30s, was saying those things had to be separate. And we repealed that in the 90s. Thanks, Bill Clinton. Fucker. And, um, you know, so ever since then, and by the way, Dodd-Frank didn't undo that. So the problem you have now is that if a big bank, like, for example, Citi, were to collapse because they over-leveraged themselves on investment, right, or mortgage bonds, which is what happened in 2007, 2008, if they fail, they take a whole bunch of consumers' stuff with them, right? And when their bonds fail because they don't have enough liquid capital to cover their leverage, then all of a sudden people's retirement accounts go away. Like, that's the reason the government had to step in and say, no, we can't let these banks fail without having a backup because... There are people's retirement accounts. There are people's checking accounts. You know, there were significant issues. And the FDIC covers things like checking accounts, right? You're covered up $250,000, but it didn't cover really anything around investments and retirement and CDs and stuff like that. And so the big problem now is all these banks are too big. They're too highly leveraged. And people on both parties, like I said, I expect Democrats to vote for this. Because the Democrats are also the one, Hillary Clinton, opposed breaking up the big banks. It's like, the banks today are bigger than they were in 2008, right? So, why is there, like, why, how is it not too big to fail now? Like, the, the thing is, I think even free market economists always talk about monopolies, right? The, the way that a free market works is you can't have monopolies. And there's five banks that own 60% of the financial industry right now in the country. So it's not a monopoly, but it's a very limited, uh, what is it called? Oligopoly, essentially. Just like a very small group of entities control the entire market. And they have way too much leverage on each other. And this bill is only going to make it worse. Because it undoes some of the regulations that prevents them from being... Having, you know, because Dodd-Frank did do things like you have to have enough liquid capital. And if you're leveraged in another bank, then you have to have enough to cover it. And all, this bill is getting rid of all that stuff. It's just setting it up for disaster. And it's so bad that Ben Bernanke, who's a Republican, and he was the head of the Fed. You know, he's on record saying eliminating the OLA would be a major mistake, imprudently putting the economy and financial system at risk. And Ben Bernanke, even, he's looking at this and he's like, like, he was a Republican, and he was like, I had to leave the Republican Party because they don't know what they're doing. 
they have become ideologically extreme to the point where they aren't placing the benefits, they aren't placing the stability of the American economy above their ideology of deregulate everything. And even Greenspan, Greenspan was the same way. Alan Greenspan, who was like an Ayn Rand devotee. And in the hearings after 2008, he was like, yeah, I assumed that markets would take care of themselves. And I have to admit now that I was wrong and I don't know what to do about that. And it's just, it's unbelievable to me that, that they're letting this, this, they're letting their ideology get in the way of protecting American consumers. And because the only people that are asking for this are bankers, you know, but they're bought off. That's the way it goes. That's fair. That's fair. I think part of it is that, like, probably the biggest thing Trump has going for him right now is the stock market. The Dow reached 20,000. Yippee. Kept on pointing at that. So, yeah, it's definitely going to jump things up short term. But I think in the long term, it's going to lead to a lot more problems than it pretends to solve for. Um, but I do agree with the um, kind of like the the, um, the preventions against racial discrimination, because a lot of times like social engineers use that to um, to to destabilize the economy, because <clears throat> it's kind of hard to prove whether or not like something is definitively racist, and if you're giving people an opportunity to get loans that they're not really qualified for and they can't really pay back, it's going to hurt everyone. And that, I think, was one of the big causes of the um, financial collapse. Um, it wasn't the only one, but people going to like minority communities uh, where people weren't really qualified um, for, for loans and couldn't really afford to pay them back. And then, um, you know, yelling racism mm-hmm when people weren't getting loans in these areas and then getting the government to back them up as they move in. I mean, I think that that happened and uh, it significantly contributed to the collapse of the housing market. Well, but this, this law doesn't actually deal with that. The only thing it does that's even related to that is it dethorns the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, but yeah, it actually and they were the anything. ones enforcing. The Consumer they Financial the Protection ones. Bureau didn't exist until 2012. It was one of the things that Elizabeth Warren fought for after the crash. So, I remember the article saying that it got rid of the kind of like racial equity laws. Uh, it could be. I mean, the bigger thing about the crash wasn't race. It was that, uh, yes, the government insured uh, mortgage loans for low-income communities that tended to be racial uh, and immigrant communities. And so banks started fudging the numbers to give loans to low-income people that didn't qualify. So, yep. Anyway. So yeah, I agree with that. I mean, like, if you're giving loans to unqualified people based on like racial equity, 
then that's wrong and there shouldn't be any protections. Well, there should be minimal because obviously, you know, it can happen that, that discrimination can happen. I mean, I think, uh, I don't necessarily know this law would do anything to fix that. So. I mean, if anything, it's deregulating. It's going to allow them to just offer more loans again. So, but we'll see. Okay, uh, next topic. All right. Release your righteous hate boner, Paul. All right. So... Over the week, over the weekend, I think it was last Friday, uh, a woman was uh, convicted for laughing at Jeff Sessions during his um, proceedings, I guess, his uh, confirmation proceedings in Congress and before the Senate, really. Uh, so Desiree Farouz uh, was arrested for the crime of laughing at a particularly gaslighty, is what this article says, comment. Basically, as they were talking about it, uh, or as um, Senator Richard Shelby uh, was giving his testimony for um, Jeff Sessions, uh, he said, quote, that Sessions has a history of treating all Americans equally under the law is clear and well documented. And so Desiree Ferris laughed. That was it. Nothing really ever happened to that. And then a Capitol Police officer came by and arrested her. And she was said, why am I being arrested? And they said, because you're being disruptive. And she was like, well, I was just, she was like, I just laughed once. I'm being quiet. Other people have said other things. And so then they got three other cops. They dragged her out. And as they dragged her out, she made a scene. She's saying, why am I being arrested? You can't arrest me. I didn't do anything wrong. And uh, then they charged her and they convicted her uh, this weekend. And... Yeah, so that's that's where it's saying sentencing is coming up. But um, yes, I will unleash my fury after everyone else says what they want to say about it. Well, I have a question first. Like, sure. when that, the the officer first came, was he just removing her from the proceeding, or was he actually like arresting her? So originally, she was arrested, and she was charged with. Uh, willfully disrupting a congressional hearing uh yeah i know but when the officer like first intervened was it just because she was interrupting and he was going to remove her yes he was he was well it was actually a female cop and she yes she was arresting her (laughs) and they eventually charged her with willfully impeding a congressional hearing uh, this was also the cop's first well, arrest sounds... ever, so this was a brand new cop, and yeah. So. It, it sounds like it sounds like she uh, she was protesting um, being taken out, and she was making a bunch of I don't know just a big interruption while she was being taken out. She wasn't going to get arrested. She was just being re- removed from the courthouse. I mean, I have to honestly kind of, I don't know, agree with that, I guess. Like, actually, are you done with your hot potato, Brett? Well, it's more of like a question because I don't know, like, exactly what happened. But that seems like that's what happened. 
don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if the media tried to put like a negative twist on this and make it seem like someone got immediately arrested for like laughing. Which I disagree with, obviously. But if she's interrupting, which she was, well, okay. she should be taken so, out. So let's let's go further. Uh, there were several other people that day who also said things. Uh, later on in the same hearing, others were heard laughing during the proceedings when Jeff Sessions was asked if he ever had disagreements with his wife. One person even yelled out, quote, you're under oath. Okay, none of them were arrested. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, Desiree Farouz. Uh, what was different about her was she was clearly there to protest. So she was wearing um, a Statue oh, of Liberty type go. thing, and she had a uh, sign that says, uh, end Jeff Sessions racism and stuff like that. So, But she was being quiet until she laughed, and so she wasn't doing anything, uh, and then they arrested her. There were other people who were making comments and doing things who weren't obviously there to protest. None of them were arrested. The only people, in fact, two other people were arrested and also convicted, and they were people that were with her that were also there protesting from the same organization. Uh, I forget what, they're from some consumer advocacy group or something like that, justice advocacy, advocacy group. And when she was being arrested, they started protesting and they got loud, and so they were arrested. Even that, you could somewhat understand because nothing was happening to them, and so they were... They were unsolicited in their protests and they're disrupting the uh, chamber. I find that to be a little bit of a sad excuse anyway. But nonetheless, I at least understand something behind that. Uh, she was not doing it. She was being arrested. And when they charged her was for, and the jury even came back and said, what they charged her for was as she was being pulled out of the courtroom and being yeah. arrested, they charged her for her protesting then and holding up her sign and saying, why am I being arrested? Why am I being arrested? To me, that's like, it's the classic you you arrest somebody. And the only thing you charge them with is resisting arrest. It's yeah, like, what were you arresting fine. them for in the first place? Like that should never be a charge that sits on its own. Well, they weren't arresting her. They were just removing her. No, but they were arresting her. You just said that she got arrested for the crime of interrupting while she was being removed. No, that's what she was convicted of. She was originally charged two things. One, she was charged by the Capitol Police for all the stuff that she ended up getting convicted of. She was also originally charged by the government, by the federal government, uh, for willfully disrupting a congressional hearing, which was the laugh. That was the thing she well, was originally charged with. They ended up not doing that. All right. Um, well, it could be the case, like, uh, if there's, there's, like, a person, like, sitting in their car and idle on, like, a fire zone, and the cop says, hey, can you move? And the person moves, like, they'd be fine. But if the person, like, started, like, yelling and refused to move, then uh, obviously they could be arrested. So I think it's one of those situations. But anyways, it's not like someone's free speech is being trampled upon here. She's just uh, being belligerent and interrupting an important meeting. And you said there's other outbursts. Like, that doesn't justify her actions. And maybe, like, the police just didn't, like, know where the shouting was coming from. Um, 
and like other people interrupting with the 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 wife joke i mean it's based on like context there like he was talking about serious stuff and she was just defaming him like that Okay, Armor, are you going to say anything? Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I can respond to that. I mean, my, my response to that is very much, eh. Like, I mean, yo, she went into the belly of the beast, and then she laughed at Jeff Sessions during his confirmation hearing. Like, that's just kind of a recipe for disaster. I don't know. Like, that just specifically what she laughed at, I feel like, is exactly what the problem is. Yes, Jeff Sessions is not great as a candidate for attorney general. Yes, Jeff Sessions sucks, blah, 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 blah. All that jazz. But I don't think that just going there and trying to protest that thing is really very productive. Like, you're not going to make just... None of what you're doing is going to make Jess Sessions any less of the Attorney General. It just, it seems like a token wasted effort. And the fact that they removed her for doing something that was contrary to what Mr. Sessions was trying to do, just, it doesn't surprise me at all. Like, if you go to a Republican thing and you act anti-Republican and, like... The fact that you get don't get treated great should kind of be par for the course. Like if someone went to a Democratic thing and started yelling "Viva la Trump," or when someone started, someone was saying that "Oh, Hillary Clinton is honest and trustworthy," and someone started laughing, they would get removed for that. Like, don't tell me that they wouldn't, because I'm pretty sure they would. So I don't know. Okay, my turn. Yeah, sure. This is all fucking bullshit, okay? Here's <laughs> the problem with this. Because you know what I'm tired of, which is this fucking false narrative that has been pushed around ever since Trump got in here, or ever since Trump started running, which is the this victimhood of the right, right? Which is, hey, I can say every fucking racist, mean, uh, homophobic, transphobic thing that I want to say and if you call me a racist, you call me a homophobe, you call me a transphobe, you call me a bigot because I don't think immigrants, uh, you know, because I think Mexicans commit crimes at really higher rates uh, when the evidence doesn't support that or that I think, oh, you know, all the Mexicans come over here are rapists and drug dealers, all that stuff. And they go, but, but if you say anything, you protest me, you're shutting down my free speech. Fuck off. That is not shutting down free speech. This is shutting down free speech, okay? This is the government throwing someone in jail for a laugh. That is fucking bullshit, okay? And if it had been someone laughing at Hillary Clinton, then I would agree. That would also be ridiculous. The government shouldn't be throwing people in jail for things like laughing in a hearing. That you can watch the video. There's a link in the article to the video of when it was happening on C-SPAN. And almost nobody even noticed it was a small laugh. Nobody even looked around until after she was getting arrested. This whole thing about, oh, she was, you know, doing this afterwards. And she was making a scene after she was being arrested. Yeah, because you were arresting her for bullshit. Okay. 
And so, but this touches on a bigger thing because so many times I've seen people talk about Berkeley. Oh, Berkeley is suppressing free speech because you know they canceled a Milo Yiannopoulos speech or they canceled a uh, an Ann Coulter speech. First of all, let's be clear: Berkeley never canceled any speeches because of their content. They canceled them because of safety. Now, if we're going to have a discussion about Antifa being violent, I'm totally with you on that. Antifa is a bunch of fucking idiots. But they're a bunch of fucking idiot liberal hippies with black bandanas that don't have any real power. They're just causing a stir. Okay? Berkeley offered Milo a chance to come back. Actually, Milo canceled his trip. It wasn't Berkeley. Berkeley offered to move Ann Coulter's speech. And then the Republican group that invited her pulled out of it and said they didn't want her any there. Berkeley never canceled that. So Berkeley is not cutting off their ability to speak. And even if they were, who the fuck cares? Okay. The first amendment guarantees you the right to say what you want. It does not guarantee you a platform and it does not guarantee you an audience. If Berkeley says we think Ann Coulter is against what we want to be and what our values and we don't want to have her speak, they have a right to do that. That is not censorship. Censorship is putting people in prison because they laughed at a politician. That is real censorship. And by the way, this is a systemic problem that is happening among the Republican Party right now. There was an article that came out just today in The Guardian where the UN Commission for uh, the UN Office for High Commissioner for Human Rights has sent a formal complaint to the State Department about a range of over 20 laws that has, or sorry, laws in over 20 states that have been introduced or passed uh, since Trump was elected on November 8th. So, for example, a bill introduced in Tennessee would give civil immunity for people driving cars and hitting protesters in the streets. A North Dakota bill bans protests wearing masks. Another North Dakota bill would make a riot with more than 100 people a Class B felony, but it only defines riot as a public disturbance involving an assemblage of five or more persons, which by tumultuous and violent conduct creates grave danger of damage or injury to property or persons. Okay, so not even that it actually has to get violent or has to cause danger. It just has to cause the danger of violence and the danger of property destruction. This would have applied to the nonviolent protests in the Dakota Access Pipeline protest. Oh, that's interesting. Interesting that North Dakota would pass that law. A bill passed by the Arizona Senate in February would add rioting to racketeering laws. This would allow the Senate or would allow the state to seize assets and arrest people for being at a protest where any violence or damage occurred, even if they weren't involved. It would also allow them to go after the protest organizers like organized crime bosses. Because if you organize a protest, somebody got violent at it, you're responsible, and we're going to put you in prison for doing the violence, even if you didn't have anything to do with it. North Carolina introduced an economic terrorism bill, which would make, quote, impeding the regular course of business of more than $1,000, end quote, a Class H misdemeanor, punishable by up to 4 to 25 months in jail. Okay, well, so what, is that outlawing strikes? Because if you're impeding the regular course of business for more than $1,000, if you're striking, you're impeding the normal course of business. Now you're an economic terrorist? That's what we're saying? Okay? It would also make obstructing roads a Class A1 misdemeanor, but only if it's a protest or an unlawful assembly. All other instances of obstructing roads would still be a Class B, penalty, uh, class B felony or misdemeanor. And all of this is ridiculous because I see this come up time and time again 
about people standing in the roads. Oh, well, that's what you get, you know, for standing in the roads and obstructing roads and stuff like that. There are laws against standing in the roads and obstructing emergency crews. There are already laws for that. But there are no laws. In fact, in 1939, the Supreme Court found that the use of public streets for purposes of assembly, communicating thoughts between citizens, and discussing public questions is, quote, a part of the privileges, immunities, rights, and liberties of citizens. Okay? This is the real threat to free speech. It's not fucking Antifa. It's not Berkeley. It is bullshit like this. And it is entirely coming from the Republican Party. And it's gotten so bad that it has now, the UN is sending formal complaints to the State Department saying, hey, you guys are cutting down on free speech, and that's not cool. This should be embarrassing. And all these motherfuckers who are out here talking about Berkeley and Antifa, you should be screaming mad about shit like this. And the fact that you're not just shows that it's not actually about protecting free speech. It's about you don't want anybody telling you that you, when you call Mexicans rapists and drug dealers that it's racist. Guess what? It's fucking racist. And they have a right to call you on that. Well, you're pretty particular about like conservative um, complaints about the left cracking down on free speech. I mean, what do you think about hate speech laws? Do you think that those are okay? Hate speech laws are unconstitutional. We don't have those. There are hate crime laws where if you commit a crime and it's specifically for racial or religious purposes, that's... But there's no such thing. We have a very liberal definition of freedom of speech in the United States, which I really appreciate. Countries in Europe have, have hate speech laws, and I don't agree with that. I think... The ACLU has come to the defense of the KKK before and said, look, I don't agree with what the KKK is saying, but they have a right to say it. Sure. KKK does not have a right to speak at Berkeley. They have a right to speak. If the KKK wants to march in the street, they've got the absolute right to do that. And I would defend that to the day I die. Okay. But so if there was a law, if Democrats were passing laws, if the KKK was out there marching and Democrats were passing laws saying, oh, you know, if people run over KKK protesters... You know, I would also agree. That's bullshit. This is what we should be worrying about. But it's not Democrats that are doing this. It's not liberals that are doing this. Okay, what about um, a florist refusing service to a gay couple? Also bullshit. First of all, federal <clears throat> civil rights laws do not protect public accommodations. The only time that a quote-unquote florist would have to give uh, service to a gay person, uh, to a gay couple, would be if a local city or state ordinance uh, also protects uh, public accommodations under civil rights laws. Uh, but even then, the florist would have to be deemed a public... Um, what's, what I, I just said it. Uh, a public accommodation. So civil rights laws are only meant to protect employment, essential services, uh, education... And like I said, at the local and state level, they can protect public accommodations. So therefore, a hotel can't turn you away for being a woman or being gay or being trans, right? Because if, there's a, if you get to a point where you can't use a public accommodation, you can't find a hotel room, you can't use public restrooms, you can't use anything like that, that has a detrimental effect on your ability to survive in the world. And the Religious Rest Freedom, the RFRA, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was passed in the 90s, 
it is very specifically has a carve out for when the government has a vested interest in promoting uh, in promoting equality, promoting civil rights. Okay, that is a carve out for religious exemption for religious freedom. And when it comes to certain things, like hey, my electric company doesn't want to give me electricity because I'm gay. Yeah, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. That's bullshit. People have a right to a standard of living. And your religion doesn't let you take away essential services from people. So this idea that a florist, that that's not happening. Private businesses still have the ability to refuse service to anybody unless they fall into a very narrow range of public accommodations or essential services. Well, it happened in Washington State. I mean, there's a difference between state laws and federal laws. And in Washington State, they can prosecute florists for refusing service if they discriminate against like, gay people. So, once again, that's like the left attacking uh, freedom of expression in one no, way. No, it's not. Traveling. No, it's not. It is absolutely not. If they deemed that that was an essential service. A florist? Yeah. But either way, that's at the state level. So what if they say that all services are essential services? What if they say that, I don't know, a shoe polisher is essential service? Catering is an essential service. That's a pure hypothetical. I mean, there's all kinds of... No, it's not because a florist got prosecuted and charged for discrimination. In Washington State. So, I mean, it goes both ways, pretty much. No, that is not the same thing. You're talking about religious freedom. That is not the same thing as saying that people who protest against businesses are economic terrorists. It is not the same thing. I mean, they're both attacks on freedom of expression. How is that? So, okay. How is that an attack on a freedom of expression? You're allowed. She, that florist, is still allowed to say that she thinks gay marriage is wrong. Is she not? Yeah. Okay. So how is that? Like nobody's asking her to get. Because she's married. she's being forced to do something that she doesn't religiously agree with. I mean, expression isn't just saying things. Okay. So here's, um, so here, here's where it actually found. Justice Cheryl Gordon McLeod wrote for the court that discrimination based on same-sex marriage constitutes discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. The court said that the state's anti-discrimination law does not unduly burden the florist's free exercise of religion. Yeah. It says, quote, This was a reasonable application of a state non-discrimination law. It's consistent with the way that states and, frankly, the federal government have applied non-discrimination law against across time. Yeah, that's a liberal court right there. And I mean, like, if the Democrats were in power, I'm I'm fairly certain that they would be putting up some kind of hate speech law, like anti-hate speech. Where? Where did it happen? Did it happen in 2009 when Tea Partiers were holding fucking Obama uh, dummies with nooses around their necks in the Capitol? Were they doing it then? I don't remember it then. Where are the laws? I mean, it takes time. They can't just do everything at once. And there's obviously going to be a lot of pushback on that one. So they're probably just 
waiting until Hillary gets a second term, and they have all the time in the world. And it takes time to slowly take over a justice system. I mean, <laughs> right now the I'm Trump sorry, administration is putting in a crap ton of justices to make up for Obama. I mean, basically what's been stopping the, the Muslim ban, in quotation marks, has been um, Obama appointees, like, resisting. So I guess it's just... a. a a matter of political capital. Like, if the Democrats like had all the political capital in the world, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they had hate speech laws. Which I'm Democrats had a far greater control of government at all levels in 2008 than Republicans do now. They had eight years with Obama as president. They had two years with almost a filibuster-proof majority in the Senate. Where are the laws? Yeah, but once just, again, you like can't just all say the hypothetically they would because they when, didn't. When Obama was elected, most of the justices and most of the legal department was Bush appointees and like Bush administration people. It takes so most of them a right transition now, time. Most of them right now are Obama appointees, and we've already got laws in over twenty states. But like, even if they had the numbers, like maybe they're like, oh, let's we're doing Obamacare right now. We'll tackle free speech later. So it doesn't right, really right, find right, me one right. example. Find me let, let, one let's, example let's of a protest it. laws being passed in response to Tea Party protests. And find the me protests one example about the protests, like blocking roads. I'm totally okay with the cars um, not being charged because first, like, uh, I forgot. There's a Black Lives Matter protest, and they caused a huge traffic jam, and there was a, an ambulance that they blocked, and someone, like, nearly died from that. That was fake. Okay, well, that could happen. That is a possibility. So you're basically blocking emergency vehicles at that point. So, yeah, you should Never be happened. able to run. Never happened. Where's, where's an example of it happening? Okay, there's, once again, like, I don't entirely buy that that's a fake, because I read about it in the news, and second off, that is a possibility, so, and it's a really likely possibility, because there's emergency vehicles that use roads all the time. So, just because I can't point to a specific instance doesn't mean that that's a definite concern. Can, can we please move on? I feel like we're spending entirely too much time on... Stuff and nonsense. This isn't nonsense. It's and unless the Democrats actually propose this bill, then it doesn't mean anything. We're discussing hypotheticals here. That's like saying, what if Trump were to invade North Korea? What if Trump were to decide to bomb Syria again? Except lots this of time people on the left support hate speech laws. Yes, and there's lots of people on the right that support bombing the hell out of Syria. The point is, until it's yeah, actually so done, we're just ways. talking pointless yeah, amounts of speculation. And generally speaking, when you're in a court of law, there's this common objection, which is like objection, speculation. And I feel like, as people who are discussing politics, we need to hold ourselves to a higher standard and not just discuss like pointless speculation. 
but but this is exactly my point. When people talked about on the campaign that Trump supporters were doing violence or Clinton anti-Trump protesters were doing violence, to me that was ridiculous. Who cares? They're idiots. They're all, they're doing violence. Arrest them. Charge them with assault. Whether it was the guy who uh, sucker punched a protester at a Trump rally, or whether it was uh, an ant, a, a Trump protester throwing rocks at people or punching somebody in, a, in an anti-Trump protest, they're idiots. Throw that's assault. Arrest them. They're not helping anything, okay? But that's noise that's happening on both sides. I don't care about that. What I care about is when Donald Trump got up and said, hey, uh, you know, knock the hell out of him. He's telling his supporters, knock the hell out of him. He's telling his supporters, hey, you know what? If you attack him, maybe I'll pay your legal fees. That's the problem. That's the thing that you got to care about. I don't care about what idiot fringe on either side do as long as they don't have power. If they're not getting elected, if they're not affecting legislation, then they're just idiots being idiots. They're idiots every day in all walks of life. Like, we rarely talk about Sean Spicer on here because it's like, Sean Spicer said something dumb today. Well, yeah, it's a day that ended in Y. Of course Sean Spicer said something dumb. That doesn't mean we talk about it, okay? But when Trump gets up and says, I'm going to pay the legal fees of somebody who knocks out a protester, that's a problem. That's a politician taking a stance that violence is okay. Hillary Clinton was never doing that. Hillary Clinton was never saying, hey, these anti-Trump protesters should throw rocks and beat people up. She never came out and said that. She was funding that all was kinds of protesters. Like protest say, is fine. Protest to, is fine. Um, violence is not. Disrupt rallies. And um, in Chicago... It turned violent when they stormed the stage and got into a huge brawl. Hillary Clinton didn't support that. Yeah, officially. She's Hillary Clinton. She's oh, a fucking fuck snake. Out of here. Come on. Guys, I'm sorry. But this all is all kinds of third into, party political this, activists. This, this is turning into speculative nonsense. Come and on. And the goal was to like, get. Does it matter if Hillary supported it or not? Does it matter if. Trump did this thing or not? I mean, like... Yes, because Trump has command of the Department of Justice now. And Jeff Sessions is telling police officers, I'm not going to come after you for violating people's civil rights. That's why it fucking matters. Yes, sure, that's important. But the point that I'm trying to make is that talking about these protests and talking about, like, fringe protesters doesn't help us. And they're talking about, like, whether or not Hillary Clinton was involved doesn't help because there's no conclusive evidence either way. I don't want us to speculate. Speculating is just a massive waste of no, time that and is accomplishes nothing. Correct. There is conclusive evidence. Hillary Clinton never endorsed any of them. Donald Trump is on video saying, knock the hell out of them. That's conclusive evidence. And my point is, if you had had a problem with that when he was running, you would have seen it coming the way he's running the Department of Justice now. That's the point. Okay, anyway. just because someone doesn't like verbally say that they support it doesn't mean that they're like not supporting behind the scenes. Again, like we have no evidence of behind the scenes action. I don't. I mean, I've read all kinds of stuff, but I wasn't prepared for this kind of discussion. So neither was I, and I Hold don't think up. You should. Continue this kind of discussion because, like, Paul is talking about Trump and you're speculating about Hillary. 
Like none of this is current anymore. Trump well, the is the problem with Paul anymore. is that like he's putting all the blame on one side. Because one side is passing the laws. If you want to have a philosophical debate about whether or not the anti-fire protesters and the liberals who are talking about uh, you know political correctness, all this stuff, if you want to have a philosophical debate about how that has a chilling effect on free speech, that's one thing. And I would disagree with you in a lot of ways. I would probably agree with you in a lot of ways. I would certainly agree that violence isn't the answer. But ultimately, that is the speculation because there are people on both sides. That's exactly what Amr was talking about. There are people on both sides that are doing ridiculous things that want to shut down free speech in some way or another. And I don't care about that. When the government passes laws like this that are so bad that the UN has to come in and tell you the UN Council for Human Rights has to file a formal complaint with the State Department, that's a problem. That's what we should be focusing on. All right, just don't anything ignore a problem as it's not in the forefront. If there's anything I can do, just call on me and I'll send it along with love from me to you. Okay, Next, anyway. big topic. Big topic. Get mad, get rid the Republicans done pious the American... Healthcare Act in the house. No, don't say it like that. So I, I'm reading this, right? Uh, now I got this. Are you sure? <laughs> yes, Brett, I'm sure. Okay. <sighs> Alrighty then. So uh, House Republicans have just passed a bill to repeal and replace Obamacare. A plan that reduces taxes, puts millions at risk of losing their health care. Uh, 217, 213 against. It was massively rushed through. Most Republicans haven't even read this bill. Like, there was all reports all over the news in which the Republicans were like, oh, well, um, what was it again? My staff has read through all of this, but me, I've just skimmed through it. You know, John Oliver making a joke of, well, that's not really looking through it. That's just making sure that doesn't have any freaking spiders. So it's now going to go to the Senate. Was going to have a lot of hurdles to pass. Um, there's a lot of hardline Republicans who, doesn't believe, who believe that the bill doesn't go far enough and moderates who think that it goes too far. So it's very up in the air. So what are, what are the key parts of the bill? Some of Obamacare's signature features would be immediately removed, such as the tax on people who didn't pr purchase health care. Um, states would have the options to get waivers from two of Obamacare's requirements that insurers cover essential health benefits, that they charge the same price to everyone regardless of their health history. The Medicaid expansion would be phased out. Bill would also cut Medicaid in other ways. It would cut taxes for the wealthy. Uh, people buying insurances on their own couldn't get tax credits on their age rather than their income. All in all, the replacement plan benefits people who are healthy and high income and disadvantages those who are sicker and lower income. Yeah, Although, sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys can go first because I'm going to rage again on this. Oh. Mark CNN. You go first, Umber. 
I mean, I'm going to rage on this too. Okay, what then the rage. Flying fuck. This is not okay. Like, they like, had such a hard on for getting rid of Obamacare that they pushed through this bullshit bill that screws over a majority of the people who they're supposed to be representing all because they want to help the rich people who can pay them money. Like, there's this Robin Williams joke that I'm pretty sure I've referenced on this podcast before, where it's like, I believe that senators should be like NASCAR drivers in that they have, like, every person who sponsors them that's just sewn onto their clothing. <clears throat> that way we can know why they voted the way that they did. And what they've done with the American Health Care Act is that they've made it worse than the already existing version so that they can pander to these Republicans who are hardcore and anti-Obamacare and anti-government regulation. And the whole thing is these Republicans don't want to be or don't believe that the government should provide any assistance, but they don't have any way of being able to say that. They can't just outright get rid of the health care plan and say, get your own goddamn health care. So they just give us a really, really shitty health care plan. So eventually we'll just be like, well, fuck it. We don't want government health care because it's just so shitty. We'd rather just get our own health care or something bullshit like that. And that's just because of the whole thing of, that's something that was mentioned earlier. Either in the, I don't know if we were recording when this was mentioned or not, but when it was mentioned that this fellow who's a Republican said that Republicans are putting their ideologies ahead of progress. They're putting their ideologies ahead of their constituents. And I don't think that's a right thing for Republicans to be doing. And that's my point on this, I guess. Paul. No, you, you go ahead. Are you sure? Yes. All right. Well, um, there's obviously like uh, a disconnect, like a moral disconnect here, because the two sides have like completely different views on like what's affordable. Like, if this was completely affordable, well, if the Republicans perceived it as completely affordable, they would be behind socialized Medicare probably, but they don't. Um, and because of that, it isn't so much like, oh, we're going to help out the billionaires. It's just austerity to them. Um, so I think the real debate lies in um, like what is affordable and like how much we can actually pay for. Um, but let's go into the regular debate. Um, which is like uh, the stipulations in the actual healthcare bill. And I think that it's kind of a, another half measure that came out, but with more cuts, so a piece to more conservatives, more hardline conservatives. It came out of nowhere. Emmer is right. I'm like, wow, they repealed it. When? Um, but I'm going to read out some pre existing conditions that are in the bill i mean they have acid reflux disease um oh. acne hold on, hold on, uh, hold on. obesity 
Hold on. Um, I'm, I'm bulimia. Gonna... No, hold on. Bipolar hold on. disorder. No, seriously, hold well, on. I thought you said you didn't want to talk first. Well, no, because I want I want to defend Republicans here in that this has been mis. What's the word I'm looking for? Like this has been going around, particularly among liberals. There's nothing in the law that actually defines pre-existing conditions. The law just lets states let insurance companies underwrite again. So these are things that could theoretically be considered pre-existing conditions, but it would vary from insurer to insurer. So in, in Republican defense, they don't have a list be like, oh, you know, you can't get insurance because you had, you know, whatever, acid reflux. Like, there's nothing in the law that says that. Okay, but the point is, is that, like, at some level, people are getting Medicaid for acne in whatever state that has that as a pre-existing condition. And it goes to the point, like, sometimes the system is wasteful and you need to cut it and it's going to hurt people. But in the long run, it's, it's going to make the system more stable basically all right paul you wanna give your shtick yeah i'm gonna ignore that last thing that you said here and i'm just gonna go into this oh uh no engagement well because it didn't make sense but the american healthcare Act. here's the problem with it it wasn't why are you okay with people giving insurance for acne yeah that's the least of my concerns in terms of what insurance and healthcare is paying for. Would you would you pay? It's your like tax it's like twenty dollars. It's like twenty dollars a month for a prescription to some cream. Uh, who fucking I, cares? Maybe it's a good cream. Maybe it's three hundred dollars. Who fucking cares? That's not causing maybe the health. It's, that uh, is not the driver of health spending in this country. I, I don't care. I don't care. Too. Maybe it's uh, an old folks' home. Maybe that gets covered. Yeah, if we're Maybe. gonna have if we're gonna have a philosophical debate, yes, philosophically, healthcare shouldn't be covered by insurance. It should be publicly subsidized. So the government should be should be paying for someone's uh, bipolar disorder treatment. Yep, absolutely. That is within the public interest. Not only is it morally the right thing to do, it is within the public interest to make sure that people with mental illnesses get their care that they need so that they don't well in fact mental people with mental illnesses tend to be victims of crimes at pretty high rates particularly from the police so that's within the public interest to make sure they get the treatment they need to become productive members of society because you can manage those things so yeah absolutely we should be publicly taking care of that same way that we publicly fund schools because it's within the public interest to have a well-educated populace. It is also within the public interest to have a healthy populace. Okay, is there any limit to, like, health, though? Like, how much can you afford to cover? You can't afford to make sure that everyone is in absolutely pristine health. Uh, so shouldn't no, we prioritize, can... like, the most urgent? No, every, everybody's not going to be in pristine health. But that doesn't have anything to do with what healthcare could cover. So there's no limits to like what conditions people could be covered for. 
like out now crusty uh, toe. Generally, I would say no. I would say there would be limits. Thumb. I would say there would be limits on certain treatments uh, in terms of medicines. Most single payer countries uh, will approve prices for certain medications, um, based, uh, especially based off they do a cost benefit analysis on if they're going to spend this amount of money. Is it going to see some benefit in terms of public health? So I think those things certainly exist, but I don't think there should be there should be very few, if any, limits on what kind of coverage, um, what kind of health conditions are covered. So I mean, and I'm thinking like things like cosmetic surgery for things that aren't related to mental issues. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, transgenderism is also a pre-existing condition, or could be. Yes, and I think the government should cover. I think if we had a public health service, it should cover transitioning, because that helps so, solve the issue of gender dysphoria. So. You're fine with uh, people who don't agree with. Uh, I don't know a sex change, paying for it, being forced to pay for it. How many things does the government pay for right now with my tax money that I don't agree with? They spend $600 billion a year on defense. You think I agree yeah, with that? Yeah, let's add more then. Yeah, let's if it was more. on healthcare, I, I would be fine with that. You may not be fine with it, but they're getting they're spending my money on defense right now. I'm not fine with that. But that doesn't mean I stop paying my taxes. You're not really arguing, though. You're no, just I am. changing the subject. I'm saying, I'm, no, I'm saying... That every the, anything the government spends money on, you're going to find somebody that doesn't agree with it. That's part of paying taxes. That's part of living in a society. It's not like half the country. It isn't like I a would big argue more than half the country right thinks now. we spend too much on defense. If you ask like the the average person, I I would suspect that they don't want to pay for someone's transition, their sex change operation. Well, good for them. I I would say they're wrong. So. And the government's already paying for it, Medicaid and the VA, so. Okay, well, the problem is, is that you have Republicans who are making this an option. They're not really representing their own people, their own voters. Well, so this gets to the bigger thing. This is, this is where I'm going to rage on this, on this law. The right, American Health Care Act wasn't popular uh, when it came through the first time. We talked about it back in March, briefly, I think. Uh, it wasn't popular then. And... Somehow they forced it through by making it less popular, which I find absolutely kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. So there was a poll uh, that came out in, uh, in late March uh, that was from Quinnipiac that showed that the American Health Care Act had a 17% approval rating. A 17%. Even among Republicans, more than half of Republicans... Uh, more than half of Republicans didn't agree with the bill back then. Um, so in that same poll, it showed that it was very important that health insurance be affordable all, for all Americans, with 85% of voters said that. Uh, another 13% said it is somewhat important. Uh, one of the other things this bill did was it cut p uh, funding for Planned Parenthood. Basically, what they say is, uh, if there's a, a provider that gets the majority of their funding from uh, uh, from abortion services, then 
or that they make the majority of their revenue comes from abortion services, then they're not eligible for public funds. Now, Planned Parenthood only performs about 3% of their services are abortion services, but it makes up close to 50% of their revenue, largely because it's paid for by private because the government doesn't pay for the abortion services, right? So they have to, it's not subsidized, they have to charge people, so a big part of the revenue. So it's essentially defunding Planned Parenthood. Uh, when it is explained that federal funding for Planned Parenthood is used only for non-abortion health issues, American voters oppose cutting federal funding to Planned Parenthood 80 to 14 percent, including 60 to 32 percent among Republicans. In a simple question, without the explanation, so not even saying that government funds aren't used for abortion services, voters still oppose cutting Planned Parenthood funding 61 to 33 percent. Uh, the bill cuts Medicaid. Voters oppose cutting Medicaid 74 to 22%, including 54 to 39 among Republicans. Only 12% of American voters say the Republican health care plan would have a positive impact on their health care. So that was then. That was before they took out the part where states can, or before they added the part where states can waive pre existing conditions. Since then, they've been polled again. Half of Americans think. Uh, including 52% of Democrats and 48% of Republicans think states shouldn't be allowed to opt out of covering pre-existing conditions. And 58% think that Congress should wait for a CBO score before voting on the bill. Did neither of those things. Allowed states to opt out and didn't wait for a CBO, CBO score. Right? And I think the thing that really pisses me off, because they're lying. They are These Republican politicians are fucking lying. Because Tom Price gets up there and he says... We're not doing any cuts to Medicaid. We're not doing any cuts to Medicaid. Bullshit. Medicaid would be cut by $880 billion over 10 years. The only way he gets away with this is because he says, well, we're block granting it to the states. So theoretically, the states could make up the difference and keep people on Medicaid. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. You know why? Because we did the same thing with welfare. We passed temporary assistance for needy families in 1996 that block granted welfare. We funded it at $168 billion. You know what the funding was in 2016? $168 billion. The people on welfare dropped from $8 million to $1 million, Okay? In that same in that 20-year period. Childhood poverty has increased during that time period. If you cut Medicaid, it will absolutely cut Medicaid services. The states will not pick up the slack, especially when you consider what 20 states already didn't take the Medicaid expansion under the Affordable Care Act, which the government was paying 100 percent of this expansion and 20 states still refuse the expansion because they just hate Medicaid that much. So why are they going to make up the difference when you block granite and cut it by eight hundred eighty billion dollars on the federal level? That's ridiculous. Then I hate the argument that people make. They're going around saying like, Oh, well, healthcare's not right. Like, you know, people can still get care without having health insurance. Before the Affordable Care Act, estimates showed that between 25,000 and 45,000 Americans died every year due to lack of health care. People without health care are 25 to 40% more likely to die prematurely. Okay? And the other bullshit argument they keep hearing is well, charity care will make up for it, right? I mean, because this was a big thing. Jimmy Kimmel came out and did his, uh, did his, show on you know and he talked about his kid was born with a heart condition and he was saying that would be a pre-existing condition and a lot of people were on board with that 
immediately you saw conservative rebuttals to this going like, oh, well, the hospital where his kid was treated was a charity hospital. And it was funded from charity and stuff like that. And, and you know, hospitals can't deny you service anyway. Uh, if you come into the hospital with an issue, they have to serve you. That's true. You know what they don't have to do if you don't have insurance, though? They don't have to give you medication. They don't have to do uh, surgeries in the future. If you have an emergency, an emergency room can't deny you if you go in. That's absolutely 100% correct. But if you need medication constantly to manage that condition, as Jimmy Kimmel's kid is going to need, they absolutely, if you don't have insurance, you can't pay for that. So that's a bullshit argument. Second of all, the idea of charity care is also bullshit. In 2013, uncompensated care accounted for $84.9 billion. The uninsured spent another $25.8 billion of their own money. But here's the real kicker. Of that $85 billion, $53.3 billion was reimbursed by the federal government. Okay? So this was before the Affordable Care Act came into law, because it didn't go into effect until 2014. Uh, uh, uncompensated, so charity care only accounted for $85 billion, and 53 of that the government reimbursed them for through Medicare, Medicaid, or separate funds that essentially because the law says you can't deny people for coverage if they come into the emergency room, so we're going to compensate you for that from the government anyway. And even if, even if we assumed none of it, even if we assumed literally $85 billion is what was being spent on charity care in 2013, you know what the average U.S. spending, aggregate U.S. spending was in healthcare? $3.2 trillion. Charity care is not going to make up for this gap. This idea that conservatives are pushing that, well, if you have a condition, you have a pre-existing condition, you can be covered under charity care is absolutely absurd. The other thing that is being pushed is the idea of high-risk pools, right? That, oh, we're going to have these high-risk pools and, you know, they're going to be uh, – that's how we're going to lower costs for healthy Americans and we're going to have uh, people who have high risk or have pre-existing conditions. They can go into high-risk pools. There is like high risk pools existed before the Affordable Care Act. The idea that conservatives are pushing this, this new thing is bullshit. 35 states had high risk pools in 2013 before the Affordable Care Act went into effect. And it was only covering roughly 10% of the costs of people in the high risk pools. Okay. There were waiting lists in California that were hundreds of thousands of people's long. And the amount of money that the Republicans have put into this bill to fund high-risk pools is $8 billion over 10 years, or sorry, over five years. That is not nearly enough. The estimated cost is over $100 billion is what it would cost to cover high-risk pools. Because you know what the best way to do to get high-risk people? It's to put them into the main pool of insurance. And you spread out the cost among everybody. Okay? And so... I'm sitting here looking at this. I'm like, what is the point of this bill? Nobody's happy with it. Republicans aren't happy with getting rid of the pre-existing condition. Republican rank and file voters. Obviously, the people in Congress are perfectly happy with it, which I'll get to in a minute. But no American is happy with banning pre-existing conditions. There are some polls that show that up to 70% of Americans think that states should be required to, that insurers should be required to cover pre-existing conditions. This is not a popular thing. Okay, the, all these things that they're pushing around Medicaid is not popular. Americans like Medicaid. Americans want to fund Medicaid. The biggest problem that you saw with Trump voters who voted for Trump based on health care was they were pissed off because they were saying, hey, you expanded the Medicaid 
And I was making just too much. I was making just over 200% of the poverty line. So I didn't qualify for Medicaid. So somebody else who's making just a little bit less money than me gets Medicaid and I didn't. The solution to that is not to cut Medicaid by $880 billion. The solution to that is put more people on Medicaid because people like it and it works. Okay. So the ultimate thing that you have to look at is like, why is this bad? Who is this serving? Nobody likes any of these things. None of these things are popular. Well, here's the answer. The top spending lobbyist industry from 1988 to 2017 was healthcare and pharmaceuticals at $3.6 trillion. The next highest was insurance at $2.5 trillion. So it just so happens that the two largest lobbying industries and the entire government over the last 30 years, they just got a massive giveaway in this. They're able to charge older people up to five times more than younger people for insurance. They're able to charge uh, high-risk people at very high rates. And, by the way, they get the part of Obamacare that they liked, which was essentially a mandate on everybody has to have insurance. But instead, what they've done is they've repackaged it and said, well, we're not going to charge you a tax penalty for not having insurance. What we're going to do instead is we're going to say, if you don't have coverage for 63 days, then when you try to get insurance again, not only can we charge you more for pre-existing conditions and do all that underwriting bullshit that you don't already like, but on top of that, we're going to charge you a 30% penalty. That is actively, I said this the last time we talked about it, that is actively discouraging people from getting health care. Because if you're a healthy person right now under the Obamacare who doesn't have insurance, then essentially you have a, a, a stick sitting there trying to force you to get insurance by saying we're going to charge you a tax penalty. That is incentivizing you to get insurance. The problem they screwed up with was the subsidies weren't enough to overcome the penalty. So people still did the math and said, the penalty is cheaper than buying insurance, so I'm still not going to do it. What the Republican bill does is it actually disincentivizes you from getting insurance. Because if you're sitting here right now and say, I don't have insurance, what their bill does says, oh, okay, well, if you want to sign up for insurance again, we're going to charge you 30% extra on your premiums the first year. How is that incentivizing people to get into the program? Insurance works by having healthy young people in the program. And if you're disincentivizing people from getting it, this is ridiculous. This is the dumbest, the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Like, you're making some interesting points here, but I feel like you've been talking for a bit. Well, it's a rant, Hummer. That's the point. Yeah, well, I know it's a rant, but at the same point, like, there's a point where a rant starts to get a bit much. Yeah, well, Andy, well, I think this is perfect timing, Paul. I think this deserves it, and and I'll finish with this, and then I'll I'll let it go. This was uh, so this was a piece on the Washington Post, and this sums up exactly what I think needs to be said about this. He says the healthcare bill that the House of Representatives passed this afternoon is not just wrong or misguided or problematic or foolish; it is an abomination. If there has been a piece of legislation in our lifetimes that boiled over with as much malice and indifference to human suffering, I can't recall what it might have been. And every member of the House who voted for it must be held accountable. And and I think this is absolutely the right thing because this is this is a ridiculous bill. It's unbelievable that this even passed. And I, I don't think that it's going to pass the Senate. I don't know that they'll come up with a compromise, but the very fact that this bullshit law even made it through the House, Republicans should be embarrassed by that. 
Well, I, I agree that's disingenuous. Because it's obviously austerity, and they're trying to make it not look like austerity. Uh, but it's half-assed austerity, which is why a lot of conservatives don't like it very much. Just like a compromise that he's trying to get through so he can go like, Ooh, look what we passed. Passed the American Health Care Act. Obamacare light. No, I disagree. It's worse. There would be more people uninsured at, at according to the CBO estimate before they put in the waiver for pre-existing conditions. The CBO showed that there would be more people uninsured after this law than there were before the Affordable Care Act. Because of the cuts to Medicaid. Because this doesn't just take away the expansion of Medicaid under the Obamacare. This actually cuts Medicaid beyond that. Well, I mean, the economy was doing better before Obamacare. So, of course, more people could afford health insurance. The uh, the unemployment rate in 2012, or in 2010, when the Affordable Care Act passed, was 10.5%. Yeah, but it's not about unemployment rates, it's about wages. I mean, any reasonable look at the economy in 2010 would tell you it was not better than it is now. That was just a year after... The crash, two years after the crash. That was when was Obamacare passed? Twenty ten. Twenty ten. Right. Well, I mean, it may not even be half of what Obamacare it is, but it has a lot of things that Obamacare, a lot of principles. You guys wanna you wanna wrap it up? I think we're. I, I, I feel like we've talked about things we talked about. Well, thank you for joining us for the Fairly Panda podcast. Thank you for your time. We hope to see you next week. Yeah, and I just want to go on record as apologizing for the rants. I'll try to cut it down next week. That's fine. Nah, you're good. Like. But I felt that you were going a bit overboard. I kind of stepped in a little bit. But other than that, I only do that like once. At least they're substantive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, see you next week. See you next week.